So how are you, my friend? I'm good. How have you been? Good. I think really good. What do, now, what are we doing exactly? Uh, so uh, I, I work in software. Right. Um, there, there are a couple of uh, topics I want to bring to you. One is just like to, to give people a sense of like what, what incidents are like in software. And, and the other is um, the, there's a lot that software ha- has kind of adopted, you know, from, from system safety, resilience engineering. Hobby, I know you guys, are, you guys are so good. And, and I think it's rare that uh, you, you get to bring something back from software that is maybe broadly applicable to other industries. And, and so I think the notion of um, attrition and industry turnover in software is kind of a, a distinct thing that other industries are maybe feeling a little bit more uh, th- throughout the pandemic. Um, and, and when you are setting up uh, like learning programs and uh, teaching your leadership chain um, new ways of doing things. What is it like uh, in software? You know, five years is a pretty long tenure. Um, when that leadership chain is gone, uh, you have a whole new set of people who right. maybe you have to educate all over again. Right. Yeah. You know um, my theory on that. You're always one new leader away from having to do everything over. <laughs> Everybody, welcome, 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 welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Safety Podcast. Yes, oh yes, you're here. You made it. I'm glad to have you back. As always, it's fun. Thanks for uh, you know listening. It makes a huge difference. I think it's probably more fun than just doing these to myself. Although you don't know, but I do sit for hours just in rooms and talk to myself like I'm on the podcast. That's how exciting this is. Yahoo! No, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I really am glad you're here today because today is one of those great surprises that happens. And you're always just so pleased. It's just, it's like, it's like if you buy a jacket in a thrift store and you wear it the first time and you put your hand in the pocket and there's a $20 bill in the pocket. I mean, that's a great surprise, right? Well, that's kind of what this podcast is like. It's like finding the $20 bill. It's, um, it's a great conversation and it's a conversation that I think is worthy of having. In fact, my guess is this is so worthy of having that this will actually become a two part podcast, which, you know, is just the way it's going to be. It's a two parter. So just be ready for it to be a two parter. Cause you know, that's what we need. And whenever that happens, what that tells me is there's so much good content that I need to split it up into two biteable chunks. But in this case, as you can tell from the introduction, because I love this introduction, um, that's Ryan Kitchens, just in case you're wondering. Um, he's got sort of two things that he wanted to talk to me about. And, and so let's just divide it into two. And so that's something to look forward to. There'll be a part two to this. So see, everything is just getting better. You know what I mean? It just It's just getting richer and better and more exciting and more fun. And isn't that the goal anyway? So, so far, so good. We're plugging along. Everything's kind of getting rolling. It's weird. There's no question that there is sort of a new normalization to what we do for a living. And it's interesting to see how the things that changed really changed. And the things that didn't change, didn't change. And some stuff that I wished would have changed, didn't change. But I suppose you're in the same place as me on that one. I mean, that, that can't just be me 
feeling that. It's got to be sort of a shared sense of reality that we all have. Because, you know, that's got to be there. But mostly, I'm excited about all the stuff that's coming up. So, um, thank you. I don't even know what to say other than thank you for the support on the book that uh, Sydney Decker and I tossed together. I, I cannot tell you how many comments I'm getting. And I really appreciate the feedback. I, I mostly really appreciate that the book seems to have... Um, done some things that needed to be done that it struck some chords that needed to be struck it's it's kind of difficult when you put it together and especially when two sort of big personalities come together it's oftentimes a negotiated uh, sense of a uh, completion <laughs> you sort of have to negotiate uh you know i think we're done here uh, that kind of thing and it's the payoff's been really nice it's been it's it's very satisfying i i, I, I that seems weird to say. It's just very pleasant to know that people have really enjoyed that book. If you've not seen it, pick it up, borrow it from somebody. You can probably see it in the look around the office in the trash cans and see if anybody threw it away. That'd be a good way to get it. But it's out there and available to you as well. That's going to be a big part of what happens. And there's kind of more to that story coming up, but I don't really have the official green light to talk about it. So I have to just kind of hint around, which is what I'm famous for. Uh, or at least that's what Jay tells me I do a lot. Other than that, let's talk about what's going to happen today. Because today, uh, we're going to talk to Ryan. R Ryan Kitchens is a senior systems engineer at a little organization called Netflix. Maybe you've heard of it. I know, you might not have, but you can look it up. Oh, you can pause right now, pause, and look it up and come back. And he he's really kind of a a, a mover and a shaker in operational learning. And he's really building a community among the software people, the DevOps and software space people, um, and being a big part of the work that John Ospaugh and Richard Cook and David Woods and the, there's so many people. I don't want to purposely leave anybody out, but so many amazing people uh, are doing around operational learning. And this this notion of learning is so vital to what we do, and yet. You know, it's it's not something that comes naturally. In in fact, it's it's not probably, and I've decided this recently. It's probably not a natural tendency for an organization to want to learn. It needs to be a deliberate strategy, and it needs to function in a deliberate space. And that's kind of what Ryan's going to talk about. He's he's exciting because he brings energy to this, but what he really brings is a depth of knowledge that's quite remarkable. I mean, remarkable. You, you. I bet you'll take a note. I bet you, I've got a, a a shiny coin in my pocket that I'm willing to wager, and I'm not a wagering man, but I'm willing to wager in this case that you'll take a note. You'll go back, push the little 15 second replay, and listen a couple times because there's some really interesting comments in this podcast that really go beyond the work you do or the work I do. Or the work Ryan does. It, what it really talks about is the work we all do together. And what's amazing to me, and it really is kind of constantly amazing, is that the the learning that's happening in the software space directly applies to the safety space or to the reliability space or to the operations space. Just as the learning that's happening in the operations space has directly applied to the software space. And we're all kind of living in each other's worlds and their complex worlds. 
and there's lots going on, and they're so hard to describe that no one person can do it alone, which is the inherent definition of what we do. Think of it like this. You're in charge of a system that is so complex and has such a giant global reach and is constantly failing in some place. You don't know where. You don't know how significant it's going to be, but it's always happening. And your job is to ensure that that system does not ever completely fail. That is a big job. And you know what? That's kind of what you do. I mean, that's that's kind of a description of exactly how work happens. And that's why this conversation is keen. It is a sweet little conversation to have. So let me not belabor it much longer. Everything's good here. Checking in with you. Everything good with you. Everything good with me. Um, you know, just just kind of plugging along, uh, riding my bicycle, although I was, it's a long story, but a, a lot of bike time, which gives me time to think. And that's good. And unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately, depending on which side of the equation you are, a little bit of travel is happening. So we'll give you more on that as we go. But let's make some time. Please listen carefully because you're going to love, absolutely love Ryan. This is Ryan Kitchens, and he's going to talk to you about, you know, what systems do and what they've learned about learning. That's an important topic. Uh, so, so my name is Ryan Kitchens. Um, I'm currently working at Netflix. Um, I've, I've worked at a few uh, media and, and video game companies in uh, software. Um, and uh, what, what I do is, is respond to incidents, teach people about learning from incidents. Um, we, we have kind of like a reliability community in software. And um, external to my company, um, I, I help community manage a group called Learning from Incidents in Software um, with uh, a few folks at uh, a company called Jelly.io, but it's, it's, uh, it's not tied to one specific company. Um, so that's a that's the gist of my background. How did how did you get into this? What an interesting you could have a cool yeah. gig, man. I yeah, mean, do, you I, get, uh, do you get to wear I, capes I and like superhuman super super this... costumes and have like Batman tools? <laughs> so I interrupted. You went to school <laughs> for a film degree. I want to hear more. Yeah, yeah, this type of thing, uh, which which you might hear referred to as site reliability engineering or DevOps or or web right. ops or or what have you. Um, you, you don't really go to school for that. You kind of fall into it. Right. And, and um, you, you get thrown in the deep end and you learn how systems work and how, how they operate. And um, a, a lot of that skill set is built on like career expertise. And, and um, I still to this day, I, I only know one professor at a school who, who is teaching any, anything sort of like this. Um, so, so that's that's how I got into it. And yet, it's so vital, right? I mean, it's really. Yeah. How do you get access to to leaders? How do, how do you take what you do, and and build that access into that to, so, to what you do? So, part of the organizational design facilitates this. Um, the, uh, the the team I'm on at my company it, it is a group of, of pretty tenured. Uh, uh, people in software who, who have kind of, you know, see, seen it all, so to speak. Right. Um, although, like, every day we see something, <laughs> something yes, really interesting. Exactly. Uh, uh, so so we kind of straddle the fence between leadership and, and individual contributors or, 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 you know, people not in management at, at, at the company. And so we, uh, we show up for every kind of, like, customer-impacting incident that our online service encounters. Um, 
and help facilitate the incident response. And at a lot of software companies, this is done in, in kind of the ICS sort of, sort of style or, or like incident command. Right. And so we, we play that role when it comes to incidents. And, and then uh, sort of like when incidents are not happening, we play kind of a, a educational resource role, um, finding out uh, maybe like weak signals of risk throughout the organization. How do you how do you start that discussion? So I'm super interested in almost everything you talked about. So this will yeah. be fun. But the discussion when nothing bad's happening, and the role you play in sort of keeping the the conversation about risk and stability alive. How's that work? Yeah, that is really difficult to do in software. And, and uh, we, we've had various uh, attempts at different like meeting formats or forums or soliciting people or like near miss kind of programs. Right. So um, my, uh, uh, my colleague, Lauren Hochstein, um started a program called Oops, uh, which, which uh, we're also trying to make the, the term operational surprise kind of, kind of uh, de, de facto uh, lingo at our, our place uh, because uh, incident is sort of uh, loaded with, with uh, you know, it's a big outage. It affects customers, people on the, the internet hear about it. It's in the news, et cetera. And there are all kinds of, um, I, I mean, like every, everything in our system is a little bit broken all of the time. And so uh, going about finding what's happening when nothing bad is happening is uh, it, incredibly difficult because of the remote nature of software, because um uh, there, there is a lot in software culture, especially management culture that like wants to be quantitative and measurable. And, uh, that is kind of the, the antithesis to, to something like a near miss program where, uh, this, this thing may or may not rear its head. And, you know, the, the next big one is right around the corner right. and you want to invest in things that give you the, the, the capacity to cope with those now, because when you need to, like it's too late. Right. So, so there's a, there's a front loaded investment that's really hard to justify um, in, in doing this sort of work. So, so like your leadership chain sort of needs to be bought into that. Like they have to kind of get it. And uh, what, what I found is, is as you have uh, new leaders come into the organization, uh, you, you really need sort of an onboarding program right. for them to, to bridge the gap between like this, this is maybe what you're used to seeing at other companies uh, or in the industry or, you know, for, for what was uh, popular 10 years ago. And like this, this is where we're trying to push the, the, the boundaries to, and we need to bridge that gap and kind of get you up to speed. And um, there, uh, um there are companies where things like you know the five, the five whys is like a, a really popular technique, oh, and, oh. and so a leader can come into our group and then be like, you know, I'm not seeing any of the things I'm used to seeing. Right. Like it sounds like incidents are getting more complex. Why don't we do something like the five whys to try try to debug that? And it's like, okay, well. Let's, we got to start from first principles. Let's, right. let's, let's, yeah. Well, first let me take the dagger out of my heart and then let's talk about first principles. But right. that, that amazing, that notion that you're talking about is incredibly valuable. And we, for lack of a better word, I've always called it building capacity, right? You, you build mm -hmm. capacity into a system to fail elegantly or, or we could talk about Dave Wood's graceful extensibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are all really super interesting and really important concepts. But I think what you bring to the table in this discussion is how do we have that conversation with leadership 
And then more importantly, how do we maintain that conversation as leadership changes? And mm-hmm. you're right. It's, it doesn't, that knowledge doesn't transfer from one executive to the next executive. In fact, I find, and I'd be curious, Ryan, if you do, that oftentimes it, it goes away completely because the new executive often is brought in to fix something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like worst case scenario, my definition of hell is when they believe their own press. <laughs> when they think that I am the savior here, I now I will save you. Step near me and be in my presence. Those are hard. How are you mm-hmm. working that side of the equation? Yeah, that that and software. I think um, I'm talking like big software yeah, yeah, companies yeah. will will have their own sort of uh, cultural norms around that kind of thing. Some companies are very, I'll say, bottoms up, and some are top down. And so what you're saying is, is I think, more of that, that top-down notion. And if a leader like that comes into an organization that is, like, bottoms up, they're going to feel a ton of feedback and pushback against them. And um, th- then I think uh, there there's either, like, let's extend the olive branch or, like, let's uh, work around this person. <laughs> exactly. Those are the two choices. Either either build a bridge or build a tunnel, but you're yeah. going to do one or the other. How do you get the organization to value that notion of continuous learning? Mm-hmm. And I really yeah. love the idea of operational surprise. I tried really hard to build that. I've been working that, in fact, that specific yeah. term, I've been working for like 25 years. It's a really yes. hard term to get to stick. It seems like it should stick, but it doesn't stick. I don't yeah. know why. Um. So, so one one of the light bulb moments a lot of people have um, it, it, in software you will you, you'll have an incident. Um, a, a common pattern is like, okay, what what action items are coming out of this to fix this classification of problem? Like that, that's sort of like very surface level uh, incident analysis to say, okay, we're going to do X Y Z, and like you know this problem won't happen again. Right. Um, asterisk. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, what's really interesting is we can show ways in which those action items contribute to future incidents. Right. And, and this gets to the notion that like every, every change, every fix brings with it new challenges, new pathways to failure. Um, and, and you will forever and always have incidents as a result of your ongoing success. And, and that notion um, really like kind of, I think turns a light bulb on in, in, in a lot of leaders because there, there is no like solving it, you know. <laughs> right. I'm taking a quick note. Can you tell? I'm. <laughs> I rarely write stuff down in this, but this is pretty good. Well, what I'm writing down is incidents are always the result of your ongoing success, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately that that preferential treatment we've given towards the belief that a system can perform perfectly. Uh, really, I I kind of call it the prevention bias. You know, this idea that we can prevent all bad things from happening before they happen. Um, that is so, well, first of all, it's so wrong. I mean, but that's kind of, I mean, we're there already on that one. I don't have to convince anybody on that. But secondly, it it, it guides the way leaders think about leading in such a weird direction. Not not really a good direction. So they end up, learning end up, ended up happening where they study what they failed to do. Mm-hmm. as opposed to studying what they did, which I find incredibly frustrating. I mean, that's real. Yep. it's really difficult. That, uh, that notion of pulling back on counterfactuals like that is really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think despite how much software wants to believe it is a unique field, 
um, it's it's the same as everywhere else. Like right. you see that in software too. And if you look at any of the sort of like you know system safety literature, and you squint a little bit and you change a few words, lo and behold, we're all we're talking about software now. Um, so so th that that's also to say though that um, like I do think software is getting a, a little better about this because in, in large scale systems, like there are there are thousands of, of software applications interacting with each other. Right. And, and, and like earlier, I said, everything's kind of broken all the time. And so, so to take the broader systems view, you have to design in a way that the system can tolerate as much error as possible. Right. Um, rather than, than um, the, the kind of maybe traditional way being like, there should be no error and um, uh, all incidents are preventable. Like you, you got to get past that. <laughs> Right, but but let me let me interrupt you long enough to say what you said is profoundly important, but really hard, it's a hard idea to sell because it's such a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that events are going to happen all the time, and that your system has to have enough tolerance in it to manage the events that are going to happen all the time, is and that's that notion of capacity, that's that notion of building capability into the system. But that's really a big shift. I mean, that's that's almost Nietzschean. In its nature, it's, mm -hmm. it's it's almost beyond our our sort of capability. It's that's fundamentally, yeah. um, kind of the origin of the Renaissance, isn't it? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> Not that we'll I, solve that today. I'm pretty sure we won't solve that today. I was having a discussion with someone recently about um, what what kind of like meeting or forum could could we have leadership in to to kind of um, give them better insight to the the incidents that we're having. I was like, okay, so the the first thing that they, they, they got to understand is like all the management structure put it in to manage a, an organization at, from, you know, the highest levels uh, is designed to like hide all the messy details from them. Right. And, and they, they, they receive summaries and roll-ups and metrics and all of these drop context. And so like this forum we're talking about is going to be maybe the, the one Place where we can sort of pierce the veil through that and give them a different lens to see kind of where the rubber meets the road and where all those messy details are. Um, when uh, you review an incident and you, you really get a sense of the, the pace of change in, in a large software system of there being tens to hundreds of thousands of changes per day, um, where it even if you look at auditing systems of like, okay, something broke, what changed? Just like, great, here's a thousand events on this particular second of the day. Like, good luck finding that needle yeah, exactly. in the needle stack. <laughs> go, yeah. go crazy. Um, th those are real operational challenges that, that the, those are more starting to get to that notion of what are the conditions of, of the incident, not necessarily um, focusing on what, triggered the incident and that extended um, condition review is really important but let me ask you ryan and i'll push you on this one because i think it's pushable is mm -hmm. leaders act like they want to know that but i'm not sure they really want this information with context i don't i think sure. they really like the simplified information it's way easier to look at a little you know a chart mm -hmm. a little stoplight chart and say hey we're all green let's meet again next monday yeah, there might be a little game here you play where where you you give them enough information where they 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 get the the gist of 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 how messy it is and they build trust that like okay you got this and then they stop asking about it and like maybe that's what people closer to the work want like if they can get that signal that well um, the you, you know the execs aren't asking for this information anymore and they think we got it then then 
um, per perhaps that that is sort of the, the pendulum we swing on. And, and and it's really an interesting problem, right? I mean, it's, it's a wicked problem, but it's it's really interesting because there's as much sociology in this, there's mm -hmm. as much psychology in this as there is sort of technical proudness around writing code or or, or flying a plane or whatever it is you do. Mm -hmm. It all sort of fits in the same category. It's remarkable to me that that well, first of all, I'm stunned with the level of expertise you guys bring to the table. But what I think is remarkable is that you're, it's a constant battle to get organizations to value learning. Mm -hmm. That seems crazy to me. It I mean, just, I mean yeah. of all the things to not value, learning seems like something you just want to value. I, I think a lot of organizations want to call themselves a learning organization, um, but then at every chance they get, they shortchange the learning. Uh, and maybe that's a cynical view, but the... The, the the production pressure in software, at least, is 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 definitely part of that. The notion that um, kind of corrupting, you know, the the whole uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, like th those sorts of uh, you know chivalrous are 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 out there, and um, it's hard to debunk them. But it the, takes but it takes years. They're so freaking cringy. I mean, now when I hear that phrase and you hear it all the time, it's just, it's completely cringeworthy. It's yeah, just like, really? really? That's where you're going with this argument? Because everything about what you just said is just wrong. That's crazy mm -hmm. talk. And also, it doesn't really reflect the complexity of the operation. The thing that I think you guys bring to the table, and mm -hmm. I'm loving this part, is this just inherent embracing of complexity. You guys, you guys... Yep. You don't run from complexity. You create complexity. You understand mm -hmm. complexity, and that's a, that's a huge part of it. So, so a, a lot of the complexity, also to, to go back to the the notion of of, of this uh, sort of churn or attrition in software, is um, when you're at an organization, and then all the people who who built a piece of technology are not there anymore, and no one understands it. There's inevitably like a migration to a new piece of technology, and like. 10 years is a solid run for any given piece of technology. Yeah. Um, so, so you can have um, the, the experts in a company completely turn over in that amount of time. So, so with the migration, there are uh, some of the cruft of the old technology gets brought over. And so, so this continues to like compound on itself. And um, Richard Cook and, and um, John Allspaugh and, and a few others worked on the Stella report a few years ago. And, and they brought forward this notion of dark debt, which which was a play on, on software's technical debt. Where like we'll do something in the short term to right. like, get it done, but we know that there's some some, some dragons there. Right. Um, so so as that complexity builds, as the 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 migrations happen, there are things that are kind of lurking out there that no one really knows about until they finally rear their head in, in an incident. Um, that is one of the biggest problems um, it, in software because of the, the the automation that exists around it. So there are some pretty big case studies where like trading firms, uh, their their automation went off the rails and the next day they were out of business, like in a matter of minutes. Right. Um, so, so there are some pretty famous case studies. You, you have um, uh, like Amazon Web Services outages take down half the internet. Right. Or, or Cloudflare, um, where uh, they, 
many companies re rely on their DNS and they don't know what the failure mode looks like when, when their dependencies are, are having issues. So, so how do you uh, deal directly with this dark debt idea? Because yeah. I would suggest that exists in every system. Every mm -hmm. high-risk complex system has a certain amount of uh, uh, time, energy, effort, resources it owes itself that it, in the name of efficiency, shorted itself. So what are you guys doing? How are you strategically thinking about that? So, so the, the way the paper left it was there, there is no specific right. remediation for that, um, which, which means that uh, you, th there need to be things that are like descriptive versus prescriptive. Right. Um, when, you, when you talk about like the, the black line, blue line thing, the blue line in software is, is moving real fast. Right. Uh, documentation is, is kind of a, a hot mess. Um, and uh, a lot of the understanding the way that software works has to be dynamic. So um, it's very rare that you'll have something like a fault tree failure graph to say like, you know, this component failed, which led to this component fail. And like, it's not linear whatsoever, right. but like software tries really hard to pretend that the world is linear. Right. Um, but as soon as um, you, you have your one application, which like you think is deterministic, but as soon as you put it on the network and it talks to other applications, that's all out the window. Um, so, so there are things like, uh, th that are kind of baseline guidance and recommendation of like production ready practices. When you launch a new application in production, you ought to have this, 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 these are guidelines you should follow. Like that, that is your, your kind of like best practices thinking, which has its own holes and, and is not enough to combat that notion of dark debt. So, um, changing the way that you do incident analysis is, is, uh, like maybe the first step there. Um, uh, going after those like weak signals of risk, right. um, all, all of the stuff we're talking about now uh, of being, you know, hard to justify or, or hard, hard to, um, I don't know, make a case for people to get bought into. Like that's all the stuff you got to do right. to combat dark debt. <laughs> well, but I completely agree. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough times that the quickest way to understand the sins of the past mm -hmm. is to be, to effectively change the way you learn. Yeah. So, so you have to change the way you investigate. You have to move really away from the classic sort of Newtonian linear understanding of a failure, cascading failures or domino theory or whatever you want to call it, into this much more holistic, non-Newtonian understanding, which gets you – I mean, it's it's – it seems so obvious to us, but it gets you so lost when you say it outside of the community because people are like, mm -hmm. what? What are you talking about? But tell me what broke and I'll fix it, you know? And if you tell me what broke fast, I'll fix it fast. And fixing is sexy. People like fixing. <laughs> okay. I mean, that, that, that's way more fun than learning. Learning is, that's a lot of work. Got to talk about context and yikes. What'd you think? I told you you'd like it. Stay tuned for part two, because part two, we're going to talk about sort of the transformational part of organizations. You know, the idea that leaders leave, workers identify differently, all that's coming together. That's the pod for today. See you next week for part two. Until then, learn something new every single day. I know you did today. Don't even act like you didn't. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.